So when was the last time somebody said to you, I love you? Do you remember? Somebody, I heard somebody say an hour ago. Who was that? Who said that? Uh, did, did they mean it? So you know that they love you because they talk to you every Sunday. Give you gifts, that's good. So my point is, when somebody says, I love you, how do you know that they really do? When they get mad at you. When they get mad at you. No, I don't, I don't like that. So the other day, I don't watch the Oscars, because to me it's like all the popular kids congratulating themselves in high school. I don't like it. But I was reading through, I think it was USA Today or Fox News, one of the two, the next day, and it had this little piece about Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper singing a love song to each other, and there was a big to-do about it because his girlfriend was sitting in the front row. So I, so I watched the video clip. And uh, he was standing on the stage singing. She was over at the piano singing pretty soon. He came over and sat beside her at the piano, and they looked each other in the eyes for however long that song lasted, probably a couple of minutes, and they're looking at each other in the eyes, singing this romantic, they looked like they're in love. So everybody's having a big to-do about it, and, and you know, I thought, what is the big deal about this? They're acting. He can have a girlfriend sitting on the front row, and sing a love song to somebody on the stage because they're play-acting, right? Okay. How do you know somebody's not play-acting when they say, I love you? When I was in high school, uh, I went on a date with this girl. We'd been on a date several times, and I gave her my class ring, and she took it, and she put it on her finger. And we both felt pretty good about that. I went over the next day, and she gave it back to me. Golly, were you lying to me yesterday? You know, it doesn't just apply to male-female relationships, romantic relationships, but personal relationships. How do you know when somebody says, because it's a lot more common now than it used to be, say, I love you. Men will say, I love you to each other. I had a, a, a pastor many, many years ago. I was, still, I was a college student. And uh, Ginger and I had just begun going to church, and this guy was an interim pastor in one of the churches that we went to. He took the pastor's place a few times, I should say. And uh, his name was, we called our pastor's brother. His name was Brother Carpenter. I can't call him anything else. That's what he was, Brother Carpenter. And I loved that guy. Golly, he was so good to me. And uh, he was my hero. And I could tell he really thought a lot of me, too. And then uh, Ginger and I went to another church uh, because of a business meeting where everybody's cussing at each other. I told you about that on another time. So we went to another church. And Brother Carpenter was an interim pastor there for about six months. And golly, he was my hero. So during this period of time, 
I was working in the Northwest office for Southern Baptists. It's a kind of a regional office in Portland, Oregon. I was doing a practicum there for some classes I was taking. And Brother Carpenter was one of the officers in that, in that office. He was the church planting director. And uh, between the time I first met him and the time that this incident occurred, probably two years had passed, and Ginger and I were filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, and got kicked out of a Baptist church because they said it was from the devil. They don't say that anymore, but they, during that period of time, they did. And so I'm in the office one day, and I walked out in the hallway, and Brother Carpenter was standing at the top of the stairs, and I, I, I know that he knew what had happened. And I don't remember everything we said. I, we just stood there and we talked for, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. And the, con the conclusion of the conversation was, he said, Stan, he said, my heart tells me one thing, my head tells me something else. In other words, his theology, he could not reconcile in his mind. But he loved me. So we had different opinions on a subject. We had a good history. And I, 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 I'm, I'm speculating, but I think I know what Brother Carpenter thought to himself when he walked away from that conversation. I think he thought something like this. Gosh, I wish that would have, wouldn't have happened. I love that kid. And I, and, I, and I believe that he loved me because of the way he treated me. Not because he said, I don't ever remember him saying I love you to me, but I believe he really did love me. Love is kind of the crown jewel of the fruit of the Spirit, which we've been talking about for a number of weeks now. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. We've gone through every one of those. And I saved this one until last intentionally. Notice on your outline, love is, is defined not simply by how we feel at any given time, but how we treat one another. And I think that's probably not a big surprise to anybody in this room, but we, we get, uh, because of the world's way of love, we, we kind of forget that at times. We all know that affection comes and goes. I know this probably disillusions you extremely, but Ginger doesn't always feel affectionate toward me. I won't re retell the story, but you may remember me telling a story where she said to me, you shut up, you shut up, you shut up, you shut up. She wasn't feeling particularly affectionate right then. <laughs> you don't always feel affectionate toward your parents or toward your friends or toward your kids or your brothers and sisters. Sometimes you don't feel affectionate at all. You're angry. But that's, that's not what love is, is I feel affection for you. I mean, it's nice, and I'm glad that most of the time we do have affection for one another, but that's not the definition of love. Let me just ask it this way. How do you know that God loves you? Has God been affectionate to you? I doubt it. You know that God loves you because he gave his life for you. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, you've had some conversations with him, I'm sure. And there have been times when you've felt tender, tenderness from the Lord, or you've felt tender toward Him. 
But there are sometimes long seasons of times where I don't feel the tender affection of the Lord. It's not there. I miss it when it's not there, but that's just a natural part of life. Affection or emotions come and go. They change all the time. So the sermon today is this. Jesus expects me to treat people the way he treats me. I read a book recently by Bob Goff. He's a tremendous, tremendous person. It was called Everyone Always. And it was about love. Love everyone always. Well, you can't like everyone always. You can't feel affectionate toward everyone always. But the issue is, how do you treat people? Now, Jesus, the words that we're going to read right now were spoken on. You know what Mahdi, some of you who are coming from denominational churches, you know what Mahdi Thursday is? It's the Thursday before Good Friday. And it's when Jesus spoke these words that I'm about to read. His, his life on this earth is coming to a conclusion. He's in the upper room of the disciples. And uh, he washes their feet. And then he says these words, John chapter uh, 13, beginning in verse 34. A new command I give you. Notice he said a new command. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's, that's quite a mandate, and there are several implications to that that I want to talk through today. First of all, he says, he says love one another. So the first thing on your outline here is love. Jesus expects us to, to love people. So let me just ask it this way. What do you want to be known for? I, I thought a lot about this, and, I, and it's interesting the stages that you go through uh, I don't, you, you, you've probably never thought of this. I'm getting old, so I do. You know, what would you want written on your tombstone, for example? would be one way of thinking about it. Or what, or what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? For me, growing up, I, I can't remember a time when this was not true. I wanted to be known for being a hard worker. My dad... Uh, was a very hard worker. He worked six days a week and then was a worship leader on Sunday morning, Sunday night at church. And slept. His day off was an afternoon nap on Sunday. He worked hard. And he instilled in my brothers and myself, you, you're going to be known for being a hard worker. He didn't say it that way, but you know, you got a paper out, you worked hard at it. You mowed lawns, you did it right, and you didn't, you didn't uh, welch out on it. You, you were there, whether you felt like it or not. So I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing, necessarily. Uh, I'm glad that my dad taught me to be a hard worker. I worked for my uncle on a farm, and he taught me to be a hard worker. I didn't always like it. In fact, I got mad at him a number of times for how hard he made me work, but I, I'm glad he instilled in me a good work ethic. So that served me well. 
when I was in the grocery business. Uh, I was a grocery store manager when I was 30 years old. I worked hard. It served me well when I moved to Billings and started, started a church. I worked hard, and I'm glad I did. I don't, I don't, re- I don't regret that. Uh, I heard people talk about this when I was young, but I, I didn't really relate to it. Now, now I think I relate to it. The older you get, you, there's a switch that happens someplace in there where the things that, that used to be the highest priorities aren't the highest priorities anymore. And I think if you ask someone at Faith Chapel, are you glad that Stan worked hard? I think they would say, Absolutely. You know, he, he, uh, he's not world famous, but, he, you know, when he came on Sunday, he had, a, he had a good word for us. I could tell he worked hard on it. I think here you would say, yeah, I'm, I mean, just, just congratulated Jared. He worked hard on that. And I'm, aren't you glad? So there's nothing wrong with working hard, but now, well, let me ask it this way. What would I want my kids to say about me was my highest, my, my best attribute? It would not be, my dad was a hard worker. I think they're proud of me because I was. But I think my kids would say, my dad loved me. And I, I thought about this yesterday, and I... Uh, there are different ways of describing love. I don't have a personal relationship with every one of you. Some of you I've talked to quite a bit. I hope when it's time for me to, to leave here that you'd say, Stan worked hard. He, he always had a good word. He worked hard at, hard at that. But I'd, I'd really want you to say, you know, he really treated me well. And what I mean by that is he loved me. Not, maybe not love like best friends, but he treated me well. And I, and I respected that. That's, that's my goal now. It's different. It's not that I laid hard work aside. It's just that it has a different perspective than it had before. So notice the next blank. If loving people is the big deal to Jesus, it should be the big deal to me. And you know, I've been a follower of Jesus for a lot of years now, and I'm just understanding this at a deeper level than I ever have before how big a deal Jesus made out of love. If you'd asked me, I'd have said, well, yeah, loving pet's important. Let me show you some examples from the scripture. Galatians 5.14 says, for the entire law, think about this, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Take all the way up to Matthew in your Bible, He's saying, the big deal is love your neighbor as yourself. That sums it up. 1 John 3.23, and this is the command, is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. 1 John 4.21, and he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So he's saying, He loved the world. He asked us to love everyone. He asked us to love our neighbor. He asked us to love one another as Christians. 
Romans 13, 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. There it says it again. He loves his fellow man. Doesn't just say Christians. He loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. And then Matthew 5, beginning verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, this is Jesus, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. He, God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You're good, so I'm going to give you son. You're bad, so I'm not going to give you son. Doesn't work that way, does it? If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? You love your kids, big deal. You love your husband, big deal. You love your best friend, big deal. Notice he goes on, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only, our, only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And then this troublesome verse that we've talked about before, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, be moving toward being perfect. So the scripture tells us in these passages to love our neighbor, one another, brothers and sisters, fellow man, and even our enemies. Even our enemies. So you've heard me say several times recently, Jesus took the 600 plus commands in the Old Testament, rolled them all up into one and said, this is the one. It's simple to understand, but it's so demanding. There's probably not a person in this room who doesn't understand the importance of love. Love people, but it's so demanding. Simple to understand, hard to do, complicated to do. Secondly, Jesus expects me to love people the way he loves me. In the passage that we started out with today, that we're breaking into three individual parts, he says, a new command I give you, love one another, and then he says, as I have loved you. So you must love one another. I said, I think it was the last two weeks ago, last time I spoke, uh, I've known this concept for a long time, but I've not seen it in the same way that in Paul's letters, he first half of the book, he writes, this is how God treats you, love, mercy, forgiveness, and so forth. And then the second half of the book, he says, now you go treat people like that. So let's think about the implications of that. I have a, a grandson who's in heaven now. His name is Zach. Zach was autistic. And I, I wish I would have gotten a picture to show you. It would have, uh, it would have helped communicate this, but I, I didn't. Uh, <clears throat> Zach, as most autistic kids are, he, he didn't want you to touch him. There was only one time that I remember him touching me. Uh, it was when his mom put him on the back of my Harley. And he put his arms around me like this. And we only rode, he didn't have a helmet, so I didn't want to go very far. We were up at Red Lodge. 
And so I drove about four or five blocks, and he, the whole time we were riding, he was going. <laughs> I think he liked it. Uh, you, didn't, you didn't have a lot of conversations with Zach because he, he knew words, he could read, he could do math, he memorized a lot of things, but he didn't communicate very well. I went for a walk with him on Thanksgiving Day once, and while we were walking, I was kind of chatting with him, thinking he couldn't understand much, and pretty soon he started reading me all the street signs. Whoa, Zach, go. Zach was, uh, you'll understand how I mean this. He was severely autistic, and he, he was kind of strange looking. As soon as he was born, you could tell something was wrong. He had really black, kinky hair, and his features were, were just different. You could just tell that, the, you know, like you can with a Down syndrome child. It wasn't like that, but, it, but it, he was different. And uh, it's interesting to me that when he, when he passed away, his dad said, probably three days later, they were over at our house, and, and his dad said, we were talking about Zach and laughing about all the fun things, and he said there was never a day that that boy wondered if he was loved. When he said that, I thought, oh gosh, could that be the case with everybody? Why did his dad love him? Because, because he was handsome? He wasn't. Why did his love, dad love him? Because of all the things he could do? He couldn't do much. What he did do was kind of funny sometimes. You remember me telling the story about him jumping in the back of the pickup, buck naked, and going through somebody's cooler. <laughs> That's not exactly rewarded behavior normally. Why did his dad love him? Because he, what he could do for him? See, that's the, the tricky part is that's usually why we like people. What they can do for us, they do things really well, and I admire them for that. They're good looking, you know, whatever the characteristics might be. But none of those things are the case with, Chuck, with uh, Zach. So here's the amazing thing to me. Jesus proved the, the context of this passage. I'm telling you the new command, love one another as I loved you, is that Jesus just took a basin of water and a towel, you know the scene, and he washed the filth off the disciples' feet. Now think about this. Think about sitting in a chair, and you've been walking in the streets all day, and, and Jesus comes and takes your sandals off and washes your feet off, and you know God is washing your feet. That's when he said, a new command I give to you. Love one another as I've loved you. We don't love people because we like them, because of their performance, because they're good looking or whatever attributes we might admire that would bring out positive emotions in us. You've heard me say this before. 
God got on his knees and washed Judas's feet. And he knows in a few minutes Judas is going to leave and sell him out. He washes Peter's feet and he knows, he told him in this context, you're going to, be, you're, you're going to betray me. I'm not inclined to love you if you betray me. But God washed his feet. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? A new command I give you. A new command I give you. What's new about it? See it in the Bible before this several times. What's new about it is he says, as I have loved you. That's what's new about it. You must love one another. Where's the focus of my love, me or others? Obviously, when Jesus washed their feet, the focus of his love was not on them, on himself. He's humbling himself and washing their feet. So I thought about this saying. Depending on your political perspective, you would have different points of view on this saying. John Kennedy was, was famous. If you say, what's a famous John Kennedy quote, this would probably be the one you'd come up with. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, right? Okay. So let me say it this way. If I'm going to ask you about love, is it focused on me or is it focused on you? Ask not what you can do for me, but what I can do for you. We generally love people because of what they can do for us, and he's saying just the opposite. I want to serve you. And he did. In other words, it's not about me. What does your love for someone cost you? Jesus went to the cross. The reason I know that Jesus loves me is because he died on the cross for me. What did that cost him? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And unless you've just read that so many times you don't pay any attention anymore, you probably ought to say, he would do that for me? Jesus would lay down his life for me? See, it's personal. He died for me. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I don't deserve his love. I don't deserve him laying down his life for me. Others don't deserve our love. But he says, and we ought to lay down our lives for brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. He's not saying don't say I love you. We should say I love you, but he's saying mean it. Then do I love people with my eyes wide open? 
You've all heard the expression, love is blind, right? I thought about that. Love is blind. Now, I have a friend, I won't mention this friend for obvious reasons, but his wife is a pistol. That's saying it nicely. I mean, she can get mad and go off on you like you cannot believe. And I've seen her do it. One time, just outside the church, she walked out the door, and there were about 15 or 20 of us standing out there, and she was going off on one of her kids. I thought, oh. Love is blind. Is her husband blind? Does he not see that? Of course he sees it. He's not blind. But he's got, he's farsighted. In other words, he sees past it. He sees it, but he doesn't look at it through bifocals. He looks at it through the top of his glasses. He sees it, recognizes it, by, but sees past it. In other words, he loves her in spite of that. Not oblivious to it. That's the way Jesus loves us. He sees our sin. He sees our mistakes. He sees our failures, but he's farsighted. Not blind. He functions in grace and mercy and forgiveness. Next blank is, do I grant people grace, mercy, and forgiveness? In other words, do I love people because they've earned my love? That's the opposite of grace. Do I love people because they deserve my love? That's the opposite of mercy. Do I love people because they always treat me right? That's the opposite of forgiveness. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another, bearing with one another in love. If everybody's perfect, you don't need to bear with them. <laughs> bearing with one another in love. And then, how do I serve the people I love? You know, I learned a long time ago that it was wise to serve my boss. <laughs> and it wasn't just sucking up. I knew you serve him and you work hard for him and it's going to do good things for you. Jesus is saying, if you're a boss, you serve them. In other words, you don't just serve people up or peers, but you serve people who may not be at the same place you are yet. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And think about Jesus. You know, I used the expression a minute ago, God washed their feet. You think about Jesus coming and serving the way that he did. Who's he going to serve up to? He doesn't have anybody that's over him. You know, one of the things I joke about now with Ginger, and she, she loves it, is that uh, after, after dinner, I get up and we, we usually eat in, in our chairs. We don't usually eat at the table, so I'll go over and I'll get her plate and take my plate, and I'll go and clean them off, put them in the dishwasher, clean the kitchen. Start the dishwasher, and before I go to bed, I take, take the garbage out. Ask my daughter. She could tell you, I haven't always done that. <laughs> so 
serving has to do with not doing something for somebody because they can do something for you, but because you love them. I don't think one scraping off those judge. She. That ginger, I'm telling you, she makes me do all the dumb jerk work. You saw my fa- you saw you saw my picture on Facebook yesterday cleaning poop. I wasn't out there thinking ginger. <laughs> I can honestly say I was doing it because I love her. Do I spend time with those I love? The various people Jesus spent time with were the multitudes, the 120, the 70, the 12, and the 3. I mean, you, you, you could probably say that. So Jesus sacrificed time with a lot of people to spend time with the 3. If you look at all the passages, you'll discover he spent more time with the 3 than anybody else, and, the tw- and, then, the, and, the, and then the 12. Uh, he, he loved the multitudes. He served the multitudes, but he spent a lot of time with these people that were close, closest to him. One of the things I noticed about myself is I love the multitudes at the expense of the few. My kids could tell you that. I sacrifice time with them for the multitude. That's backwards. It isn't that you shouldn't care about a lot of people, but if you love, love someone, you're to spend time with them. Do I communicate my love with words? I, I live in my head most of the time, and that serves me well when I'm preparing a sermon or when I'm thinking about something. But to love people, you have to get out of your head and express that. Uh, I know part of it was a cultural thing, but I want to learn from it. When I was growing up, I don't ever, I, they probably did, but I don't remember my mom or dad either one saying, I love you. They did. I'm sure of it, but they didn't ever say it. But oh, what a joy it would have been to hear my dad say, son, how you doing? Is there anything I can do for you? What, what are you working through right now? And just to have taken a little bit of time to ask those kinds of questions. You love somebody, you're going to talk to them. It's going to be words. Now, again, you've got those different levels of people. You can't be that with everybody, but you can with some. Then the third issue, he says, A new command I give you love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. And then the third part is, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. So I love Jesus. How will people know that? How will people know that I love Jesus? I'm going to tell you this. They don't know that you love Jesus because they see you get in your car every Sunday morning and go to church. They don't know that you love Jesus because you wear a cross around your neck. Every time I see a cross around somebody's neck, I wonder, are they a Christian or is that just jewelry? They don't know that you love Jesus by code words that you speak, Christianese words. Have you ever had a problem and you thought and you thought and you thought and you thought and then all of a sudden, aha, I got it. I got it. What we need to get is, aha, people know that we love them by the way we treat them. They know that we love Jesus if we treat them well. 
early Christians, you know, you know what, you, you remember, you remember enough history to remember that Jesus died, went to heaven, they started spreading the gospel all over the Roman world, and people were getting persecuted and killed because they didn't worship the gods of some particular nation, and they'd feed into the lions and so forth. But within a couple of hundred years, Rome was now Christian, officially Christian. Why? Well, let me tell you a couple of reasons why. Because they watched how Christians took care of people when they died and how they took care of their families. In Rome, somebody's dead, they're dead. Big deal, you know. But the Christians would show great respect for the dead and they would love their families and feed them and care for them. And the Romans are... There are th even things written that look how they love each other. Another reason was that when, when a baby was born in Rome, there are actual documents that this husband writes to his wife, he's gone someplace, and he writes to his wife, says, I'm not going to be there when the baby is born, but when it's born, if it's a girl, leave it. In other words, just let it die. They would take babies if there was any kind of a deformity or anything wrong with the baby or if they didn't, didn't want another, they'd take it out and put it in the woods and let it freeze to death. And the Christians would go find those babies that they left out in the forest and take them home and raise them as their own. That's how they knew they loved Jesus. See, it's not just saying that we love someone, but it's by how we act. I thought, I thought, wouldn't it, can, can you even begin to imagine what it would be like if, I'm not talking about Christians now, I'm talking about non-Christians looking at Christians, if they would say, you know, if I could have a Christian neighbor, that would be the best possible thing in the world. They love people. They're nice. They treat me well. If I could just get a Christian to work for me, they work hard. They, they keep their word. If I could just get a Christian to work for me, man, that would be the best thing going. If I could just have a, a Christian coach or Christian kids playing on my team, those kids work harder than anybody else. They behave themselves. They've got a great attitude. See, that's what Jesus is talking about. The people would look at our lives and look at us and say, oh, my word, look how they love people. Not because they say it, but because of the way they treat us. So this morning, I want to I just ask you this question again. What do you want to be known for? I'm certainly not there yet, but I'm, I've shifted my focus I want to be known for being a lover of people, one who treats people well. Not just being nice all the time, you treat people well. What do you want to be known for? And I want you to think about, is there a family member? Is there a family member who would wonder if you love them by how you treat them? Is there a neighbor is there somebody at work who would wonder by how you treat them? 
Well, Pastor, you don't understand how they treat me. It doesn't matter. That's what Jesus is saying. It doesn't matter. We love even our enemies. So, Lord, today, uh, help us get that person in mind. Maybe there's more than one. And, Lord, help us move beyond our own hurt or our own defensiveness or unforgiveness or whatever it is that's holding us up and help us begin to love them as you love us, not because of what we can do and how we talk, and, but because you love us. So the Holy Spirit, come. This is, this is simple but hard, and we ask for your grace and your mercy to help us move toward that person or those people in Jesus' name. And,